Amen. Good. Well, last week uh, we were in uh, the Gospel of Luke, and Jesus opened a topic that can be somewhat jarring for us at times, and that is the topic of the end times. And the reason I said last week that it can be somewhat jarring is because um, when the level of comfort in life goes up, the focus on heaven and things above goes down. That's just sort of a general rule in life. And we live in a place where there is a higher degree of, of temporal comforts than in other places in the world. And so we have a harder time often thinking about the, the things at the end of time or heaven. And, and Jesus brings this, though, into the midst of our thought process. He says, okay, I'm going to put this on the table, and I want you to grapple with it and to learn from me um, how you should walk through this life. And, and I think we need this as much or more than the people who are living in, in, in grave uncertainty and difficulty and challenge, who don't have food from day to day. We need, we need desperately to be thinking about the end times. Otherwise, we could kind of get into this sort of sleepwalking mode and forget that what we're really on here is kind of a crazy adventure. This life that we've been given to live is a wild and it's a crazy adventure. But it's an adventure because God is Lord over it all. And he's constructed a framework within which we operate and move and we have our being. And it's a beautiful framework that's leading to something tremendous and wonderful and glorious. And when we, when we remember that, then life becomes an exciting adventure and less of that sort of sleepwalk that we can get into through the day-to-day, just hitting that alarm every morning, going to work every morning, coming back, eating, you know, doing the same things over and over and over again. After last week, we were talking about this, and, and John came up to me, talked about seeing the movie The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. And uh, I didn't have a chance to see it, but I did pull out the short story that it was based on, which was written in 1939, first published in The New Yorker, and read through. Just a very short, you can, you can pull it down off the web, it's a very short story. And, and Walter Mitty is this man who's living an, a painfully normal average life. And he's so distraught by it that he sort of slips into these modes of dreaming about what life could be like. And so he's out trying to buy galoshes because his wife is worried that his feet are going to get wet in the rain. And uh, in the middle of it, he starts dreaming about, you know, being a fighter pilot in, in, in the war. Uh, and then another moment, he's, he's doing something else. He starts dreaming about being a surgeon who swoops in at the last minute and saves this person's life. Um, and he has all these experiences of dreaming. And there's a little bit of that tension going on with us. We live these mundane lives. And yet something deep inside of us is longing to live an adventure. And I'm telling you this morning, we can do that through Jesus Christ. In fact, we are doing that through Jesus Christ. And what's required is maybe a simple mindset shift for us to understand what it is exactly that Jesus is saying in this text and then largely throughout Scripture about the framework in which we exist and the time that we're in and, and what life is supposed to be out. So if you would open to Luke chapter 21, we're going to take a look at this, this great framework in which our life is seated uh, that gives it meaning and purpose and direction and adventure. Luke chapter 21. If you do not have a Bible, we would love to give you one. Just raise your hand. We've got uh, some back there that we can hand to you. So just raise your hand. We'll pass a Bible to you. If you don't have one at home, take this one home with you. We want you to have it available for whenever you need to look something up or read, or hopefully it will become part of your life to be reading every day uh, in your scripture. And the verse is, is on page 753 uh, in that particular Bible that we hand out. Luke 21, starting in, in verse 20. Now, a little background here. Israel is under the thumb of the Roman Empire, 
And uh, there are pockets of rebellion in Israel. They uh, grow and then dissipate uh, over time. So there's a kind of a volatility about Israel. And so the Roman authorities have their, their eyes watching to make sure that none of this gets out of hand. Um, they have a close watch. And Jesus is speaking in the midst of this. Now, what's going to happen is the temple in the middle of Israel is going to be uh, destroyed. Um, and Jesus is going to predict this 40 years before it happens. Interestingly, though, the Romans, even the general who eventually came crashing into to Jerusalem and, and, and raised Jerusalem and destroyed the temple, his name was Titus. You may have heard of him. He eventually became a Roman emperor. Even the general did not want to destroy the temple. He wanted to preserve it. But it was an accident of fire that eventually ended up destroying this temple in the year 70 A.D. What we're reading uh, is Jesus 40 years beforehand uh, predicting the destruction of this temple. And so let's look at it. Verse 20, Jesus is saying to his disciples, But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart. And let not those who are out in the country enter it, for these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. And referring back to all that's been written about the judgment that would come on the unfaithful. Alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. Nothing against those particular category of people. It's just that you know when you're pregnant or when you're nursing, it's a lot harder to get around quickly. Some of you experienced that this morning on your way to church. Uh, and, and so to be in a time of crisis, to be in that sort of intense moment in time, and to have that extra uh, to do, alas for the women who are experiencing that. For there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now, this is a very important moment in this text because this is us, the times of the Gentiles. The word there for times means season or opportunity. There's a season or an opportunity for the Gentiles. Gentiles refer to anybody who is not Jewish. And so the season for the Gentiles to be brought into the people of God, that's what we're living in right now. So the break between verse 24 and 25, that's us. That's where we are. We're in that break right now. But then we come to verse 25, and there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken, and they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, listen to this, straighten up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. So there'll be cosmic distress after the time of the Gentiles. That's this time we're living in right now. At some point, this time will end. There will be cosmic distress. And the Son of Man, it says, will come. Now, in the Gospel of Luke, that phrase, the Son of Man, has already been used 19 times. 
and it refers to Jesus. It's another way of him saying, me, essentially, I will come. And it's got this, this sort of double meaning to it that makes it such a wonderful and rich and powerful designation for Jesus Christ. First of all, it sort of just means me. It can refer to me, son of man, just me, in a very pedestrian kind of way. And yet it also is used in the book of Daniel of one who comes on the cloud at the end of times. Daniel has a vision of one coming on the cloud at the end of times who will be the ruler and authority over all, unlike any other. And so at one and the same time, it can have sort of this pedestrian meaning of me and then also this grand meaning of one who comes on the clouds and who is ruler over all. So it contains within it this, this little phrase, son of man, both the humanity of Jesus and his divinity in a sense, the authority that he br brings as the Messiah. And so he refers to himself as this, the son of man who will come during that time of cosmic upheaval and bring about the change that God intends to bring. Verse 29. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree. We have a fig tree in our house, and in the winter there's no leaves on it. It looks like sticks. And then after, in the spring, it will just be absolutely burdened down with leaves. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also... When you see these things taking place, these signs that he's described, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. That to me is amazing. That... That, that the words of God are more sure than the very ground we stand on. So when the ground is shaking, you Bay Area people, right, <laughs> who feel the ground shaking, or when there's fears that the world that we are living on is, is, is not um, responding in the way that it always has, when there's all those kinds of fears... Remember this truth. The word of God is more sure than this because it, this world came into existence by, this, by the, the word of God. And so that word is more sure. That's why we read our Bibles, right? That's why we want to absorb these words because the word of God is more sure than the very ground we stand on. Verse 34. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth, but stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place, and to stand before the Son of Man. And every day he was teaching in the temple. But at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. It's a little bit of the calm before the storm. These next passages that we're getting to, we're leading closer and closer to the cross, and it's going to become more and more intensified as we do that. Now, a couple of exhortations, two exhortations I have for us, for myself and for us this morning that come from this text. And what these exhortations are aimed at is helping us to live in, within the redemptive plan that God has for this world. God is doing something in this world. That's what the Gospel of Luke is about. We're calling it total transformation. God is in the process of completely transforming this world. Okay? Now, I have two exhortations for us. How do we live in that, in the middle of that process 
of redemption. The first one is simply this, to chart the course. And then the second we'll get to is to join the adventure. So chart the course, join the adventure. It's how we live in God's redemptive plan and how our life becomes meaningful and purposeful and really adventurous in many respects. This last Monday, I was cycling. Uh, Monday's my day off. And so I took a run at, at Mount Diablo, which I've done many times. And I was beginning to ascend. It's an 11-mile ascent up to 3,800 feet. I was beginning my ascent. And I looked up at the mountain. And I couldn't picture where the road goes. And I thought, you know, I wonder, as I'm going up here, am I going to go over that ridge or that one? Am I going to go in this ravine or that one? I've done it many times, but I, I don't really have the big picture of how the road goes up the mountain. And so uh, I'm, I'm confused. Which direction will I mean, you, there's only one road, but you don't, you don't have a concept of where that road leads. So I came home, and I jumped on my computer, and I pulled up Google, Google Earth, and I said, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to memorize the contours of this mountain so that when I'm going up it, I know that when I come around this turn, there's only 47 more turns, and, uh, and, and I know where I am on the mountain, and I know where I'm going. And so I sat there staring at this, and it was fascinating to say, oh, I remember that turn. That's how it fits into the larger picture of what this mountain is. And if you do that, then the next time you're climbing that mountain, you know, you're going to have a sense of, okay, when I get around this corner, I know how much I have left to go. I can gauge my energy. Yesterday, I was riding with a group of guys, and I was going up a hill that I had never been up before, and I saw a corner up ahead, and I thought, I, thought, I think the hill ends right around that corner, um, and I was kind of feeling my oats, you know, so I took off, and I got a little gap, and uh, we come around the corner, and I look up, and there's a whole other section of hill, and just as I'm realizing this, two guys go whizzing by me, you know, sucker, <laughs> um, I was able to catch one of them, which isn't part of the illustration, but I just thought I'd throw it in there. Um, and so, so it's important to know, you know where we're going and the terrain. It's important to know the course, right? It helps you. And that's what's true, and that's what Jesus is trying to do for us. As we think about the future, he's trying to say, look, I'm going to give you a little insight. I'm going to give you a roadmap. This is what the future's like. And we can't spend a lot of time on this, but I want to encourage us all to have at least some conception of what the future, the end times, are to be, so that if it happens in our lifetime, which it very may well, we are not surprised completely by what comes. So you've seen, if you've been with us, you've seen this chart before. Um, this is a chart of what we know, not just from this particular text, but from many texts in the New Testament and the Old Testament about where we're headed. What is the map of the future? And I give this to you so that you might have that confidence, so you might know what is coming. And so that might give you an assurance, okay? That's what we're trying to do here. Um, and of course, there have been many debates through time about what this is going to actually look like, and, and people have differing opinions. But basically, the, the time of the Gentiles, that's the church age right now on the, the far left of this chart. And when somebody dies in this stage, they go into what's called the intermediate state, so they're not reconnected with their body. They're, 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 they're living in the presence of God, but the new heaven and the new earth is not there yet. So all those people that have died before Christ's return, that's, they're in what's called the intermediate state. When this particular time ends, we come to the tribulation, and that's what, what Jesus is talking about in this, in this text to, some, to, to a large degree, this tribulation, this time 
of, of, of sort of giving birth to this new world. Jesus Christ returns, that's the Son of Man coming, and at that time, there will be a resurrection of those who are believers in Jesus Christ. At the, at the end of that, there will be, um, and this is a debated topic, some period of time in which Jesus establishes his rule and authority on earth. And the term that's used in the Bible is millennium, which means a thousand years, but it may be a metaphorical term, and some people view that differently. Um, that's okay. At the end of that, there will be a time of judgment, and, and, at the end, and, and non-believers will be raised at that time of judgment, and everybody will be brought forward to face judgment before God. And those who are in Jesus Christ will have their judgment on Christ. So anything, any sin that they've done, God will not look to them. He will look to Jesus Christ. And so that person will be forgiven and the judgment has already been meted out on Jesus on the cross. And then that time will give birth to a new heaven and a new earth. We think of heaven as sort of this oftentimes place where people float around on the clouds and, and that's not the case. Heaven is, is, not, um, is a very tangible, real place where we're going to be living lives that are going to be more real, more substantial than the lives we're currently living. When Jesus says, this generation will not pass away, in verse 32, we're not sure exactly what he means by that. He might mean that uh, on the beginning part of it, this generation, uh, at the beginning of the church age, will see this whole process begin to unfold. Or he may mean, alternatively, that when the tribulation starts, it's not going to go on forever. It will go on for just one, less than one generation. So that it won't go on for a long period of time. Those of you who are wondering that, that's in verse 32. Now, that's kind of the overarching scheme. It's the map. It gives you a picture of where we're headed. It helps you to navigate so you're not surprised. You want a shorthand for this? Maybe you didn't completely you know, commit this to memory. Um, Think of giving birth. There's a time of expectation, which happens at the beginning. That's what we're in. There's expectancy. We're waiting. We're waiting. And then there's going to be a time of great revolution and change and transformation and all sorts of craziness. And, and that's what giving birth is like. And then on the other side of that, there's a tremendous joy and newness of life. That's, that's what it's going to be like. That's the shorthand for how the end times are going to go. All right, we can, we can take that off. And if you want a copy of that, if that's helpful for you at some point, then great. Um, this is so that you know, like, you know, before, if you were to give birth, you have to go to those Lamaze classes or you have to go to the other kind, I forget what they call it, classes that you take so that you're prepared, right? Now, you get in there and you actually start to have the baby and all that goes out the window, uh, and, you know, and it's craziness. But, but at least you're somewhat prepared for what's going to come. And that's what Jesus is doing. This is our Lamaze class, all right? So when the end times come, we know what to expect to some degree. So chart the course. That's the first thing. Now, once you understand that, how do you fit in the adventure of what's coming? Join the adventure. And Jesus gives us several admonitions that I'm going to move through very quickly here at the end of this text, verse 34 through 38 primarily. First of all, he says, watch yourself. Because this is where the world's going, watch yourselves. It's so easy to get caught up in the daily concerns of life, and it creates a kind of a fog, right? And, and sometimes we medicate against that with drugs and alcohol. Jesus is mentioning, he says, uh, don't be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness. And sometimes we deal with that by trying to beat it all, 
And some of us are really good at managing life, and so we can, take, we, can, we can deal with all the cares of this world, money and relationships and jobs and all that stuff, and we get on top, and so we start to feel like, okay, that's how we deal with it. So some of us medicate against it. Some of us deal with it by just um, wrestling it to the ground and trying to, trying to take care of everything. And, and, and what happens, though, when we do that is we lose sight of the big picture, and we end up veering little by little because we've got all these messages coming in saying, do this and do that in life. And, and all the advertising that we absorb, this is important and that's important when it's really not important. But we absorb it and we start to, we start to get caught up in just this, what we can see around us and losing sight. I find this to be the case uh, when I'm preparing a sermon, for example. I'll be studying and I'll be going down some rabbit trail and I get on Wikipedia and like, oh, that's very interesting history. And then that brings up another thing. And next thing you know, I've got six Wikipedia windows open and I'm, I'm going from one to the other, one to the other. And all of a sudden, it's like, Sunday's coming, right? And what have I been doing? Maybe it's been, I mean, it was fun. It was interesting. But there's a deadline to my study, which is Sunday morning. And, and those of you who are students, there's a deadline to your study, right? You've got to turn your paper in. You've got you've to take your test. And, and in a sense... Uh, that has a focusing effect on, your, on what you do in life. To know that it's going to come due at some point has a focusing effect. And that's what Jesus is saying. Let this, this knowledge of the end focus your life right now. Second thing he says is take comfort in the fact that you're not alone. Verse 35. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Now, the positive side of this is, is you won't be alone in this. Your brothers and sisters will be with you. The people in this room, we will walk together through this when it comes. We won't be alone. It won't be just us. And then the, 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 it kind of cuts in a negative way, too. Sometimes we walk through life and we feel like that beleaguered minority next to the people who are flourishing in all kinds of ways. And it's a helpful to reminder that there will come a day of justice, when everybody, no matter how wealthy and rich and connected and powerful they seem to be in this life, we'll all have to face the same judge. Now let me just say, if, if, if you haven't been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, then today is the day, because we don't know when life will end. It could end at any moment. And the way that that reconciliation takes place according to what the Bible teaches is that we come to Jesus in the knowledge of our own sinfulness and our having fallen short of God's glory and His ways and His commands. And instead of the punishment for that being upon us, God decides to put it on His Son, Jesus Christ, who took it all on the cross. And we attach ourselves to that sacrificial atonement by faith. I believe in Jesus, and I believe that that atoning sacrifice is for me. I believe that He is Lord of the universe, and I want to follow Him with my life. That's faith. And in doing so, we become reconciled to our Father. So that when we stand before the judge, ultimately, we can know that we will pass. Not on our own merits, but on the merits of Jesus Christ, who is a perfect man who offered himself in sacrifice. You can take that step today. If you never have your visitor with us or you're seeking God, you're in the process, you could take that step today of placing your faith in Jesus Christ. Even right now as I'm talking, you can pray, Lord, I would like you to be my... I acknowledge you as my Lord, and I acknowledge you as my Savior, and I need you. And that simple faith, belief, statement, step will usher you in to right relationship with God. It seems scandalous, but grace is scandalous. It's, it's that free for those who would seek it with sincerity.
Next thing he says is pray in verse 36. Stay awake all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things. He calls us to pray. Develop the habit of that. Now, if you've been around me very long, you know that one of my favorite phrases is that prayer, anxiety is the prayer bell. Anxiety is a prayer bell. When you feel concern and worry and anxious about what's to come, what you do with that, according to the Jesus teaching, is you, you turn it into prayer. All that energy that we, that we expend on worry and anxiety is intended to be spent on prayer. Simple little shift. Now I find, and, and, and I don't know, um, I find that the anxiety often increases as we get older. And I don't know why that is, but my experience is that I, I talk to people who are, as they get older, I oftentimes sense that there's a deepening of anxiety. And maybe it's because they're closer to the end of life and they have the bigger picture more in mind. And, you know, you, you feel those things like, like what's going to happen to the, the nations in our world? They're fighting and where's it going to lead? And, and, you know, global warming, what's that? And, and it, you know, what, how's it going to affect the world? And, and look at what the youth are doing today. Right? They're crazy. You know, we never did that. All, all of this stuff kind of comes into play, and it makes us anxious. And the antidote to that anxiety is prayer. And as we practice now in the small crises we face with taking that anxiety and turning it into prayer, it will prepare us for the large crisis that will come someday when, we, when, when Jesus comes back and we are to be responding uh, in the way that he calls to respond. And then lastly, verse 28, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. I can't get enough of that verse. That's just amazing to me. Imagine, because see what happened is in the year 70 AD, the, the Romans did crash into Jerusalem and they destroyed the temple accidentally. They didn't mean to. But a fire was started and it, and it burned the temple, the temple caught fire um, and there was all this destruction. And as the Romans were wont to do, they, they captured the Jews and they marched them back into the city of Rome. And they were carrying the menorah and the, 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 the objects from the temple on high as they marched triumphantly. And the Jews would have been in chains, marched in. In fact, interesting tidbit, the Colosseum in Rome was built on the, 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 the funds that they got from the sacking of the temple in Jerusalem. Didn't know that. So they go marched in this beleaguered people, and they're anything but their heads are, are but 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 heads raised high. Their heads are bowed low as they walk into Rome. Uh, in fact, there's an arch near the Colosseum. It's the Arch of Titus, and on it is depicted. Here's the Wikipedia part, right? On it is depicted uh, the, the the Jews walking into Rome and and the triumphal march of the of the Romans as they had all of the the items from the temple. Right? And then they used those to build um, the Colosseum. Now contrast that picture, this broken people who've been destroyed with, with the people of God who walk into the New Jerusalem. Now what's the New Jerusalem? You, you walk in and the Bible tells us that the walls are of jasper. I don't even know what that looks like. Um, and and the, the gates are pearl. And the facades of the buildings are golden. And the streets themselves are gold. And at the very center of the city is a temple? No, because there's no temple needed anymore because God himself is dwelling at the center. And there is a river of life and there is the tree of life at the center of it. And when you walk into the new Jerusalem, your head will be held high because victory will have been 
completed and you will be entering into the greatest environment that you could ever imagine. And the the words in Scripture about gold and jasper, they're just straining to try and capture the beauty and the wonder of it. And what we're supposed to know about that right now is that that's who we are and that's where we're going. We're the people who are going to walk in to Jerusalem that day and our heads will be held high because of the victory that God has won in His redemptive plan. And when we feel like the Jews walking into Rome in chains with our heads held low because life isn't going the way and we see that we want and we see all the troubles around us and the nations and the, and, and the lack of rain and whatever it is that makes us worried, when all of that weighs us down, we're to remember who we are and where we're going, that we're the people whose heads are to be held high. And one day they will be. You know how victory has that quickening effect? Somebody can be absolutely exhausted, but when they're winning the race and they look around and they realize that they're in front, you know, they get an extra dose of energy. That's what Jesus is talking about. Is your head held high when you come across that victory line. That, because that's based on the word of God, that promise is more secure than the very ground we stand on. And that's what we're to focus on. And to practice in the little crises of this life. Whatever you're facing this week. So that when Jesus comes back, it'll be old hat for you. It'll be old hat. To remember who you are and where you're going. And ultimately, that your redemption is drawing near. Lord, convince us again that our redemption is drawing near. Lead us and guide us strengthen us, and remind us. Thank you for your word, more stable than this ground. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.